I'm Sandra Hayes Buckley and you are listening to the Mind Your Mind podcast, a podcast that delves into what minding your mind means to different people, what self-care looks like in their lives and why minding their minds is so important to them. I hope you enjoy. On this week's episode, I am joined by Natasha Wheelahan. Following her diagnosis with stage 2 breast cancer in June 2017, Natasha's life was changed entirely. With a background in HR and recruitment, Natasha decided to couple this with her interest and new qualification in life coaching to develop her own coaching business, offering life and career coaching to fellow cancer survivors. During our chat, we discussed Natasha's own experience of depression, postnatal depression and prenatal anxiety, as well as the psychological trauma that comes with a cancer diagnosis. Natasha, welcome to the Mind Your Mind podcast. Hello, it is fun to be here. (laughs) Fantastic. And for anyone who isn't familiar with you, who's listening in this week, would you give us an introduction to yourself, who you are and what you're all about? Well, an intro to me. Um, I am Natasha. I am first and foremost a mum of two little people. Uh, They are seven and ten now. Um, Ten-year-old is getting very pre-teeny, which is a little bit scary. Uh, told me he was embarrassed to sit on my knee in public a couple of weeks ago. So that was a bit scary. But anyway, um, so they're my my number one. Um, you know, they are. So I always mention them first. Um, obviously, husband, I have the dog downstairs. If you hear him in the background, he apologizes. But for work, I work as a life coach, um, life and career coach. In In a previous life, I was a recruiter. And uh, I wanted to marry, I suppose, the elements of recruitment that I loved with my passion for coaching. So I work as a life and career coach, but I specifically work with cancer survivors. Um, the reason I picked this as my my niche, uh, the area that I'm so passionate about is because I'm also a cancer survivor. I had breast cancer uh, back in 2017. So six years on the 27th of June, since I was diagnosed. So June is a big month for me. Um, I was 39 at the time. My kids were 17 months and four years old. They were very young. They were, well, Abby was literally a baby. She she was in nappies and had about four words, (laughs) you know. Um, The other fellow was a bit older. And I was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. So I went through treatment. I had three surgeries. I had like a full mastectomy in the end. Um, I had eight doses of chemo. I had six weeks of radiotherapy and then I went on to hormone therapy. So it's medication basically to keep my estrogen levels suppressed because the estrogen in my body was feeding the cancer cells, which is really layman's way of explaining it, but it kind of gives an idea. So I'm still on hormone therapy. Um, been on that for five years and I have five more years to go and two years ago I had my ovaries removed and you know I suppose the cancer journey for me didn't stop the day I had the last dose of radiotherapy and that was almost a surprise (laughs) because I think you know you have this expectation that well you're finished now and you'll just go back to normal and everything will be great and it'll be grand and are you beat it and 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 that's very much not the reality um and it's not the reality for a lot of cancer survivors and the period after cancer can be hugely challenging um in terms of mentally physically there are side effects there's the emotional impact you go into this like 
fight or flight mode when you're in treatment and it's just get through it, get through it, get through it, get through it. And then you finish and you're like, you're still in this state of hyper arousal and your cortisol's all over the place and you're menopausal if you were like me. And, you know, and then you, you suddenly don't have your hospital appointments anymore and nobody's keeping an eye on you or so it feels. And that's when a lot of the emotional challenges can really come up. So for me, um, I think I had very, oh, like anxiety about recurrence that was just off the charts. Like it was, it was ridiculous if I got a sore toenail. And I say ridiculous because, you know, literally if I got a sore toenail, I was like, can cancer come back in your toe? <laughs> you know, it was, I was just in a panic for the first few weeks. Um, but outwardly was like, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, you know, yeah, my hair's grown back and, you know, but inwardly I was just in a flap. <laughs> I have no other way of describing it. I was just in an absolute panic. I was also really exhausted. Um, you know, the side effects of the treatments were there and I was trying to deal with these. And it felt that because I had finished treatment that people thought this whole chapter of my life was over. Whereas for me, it felt like I climbed a mountain, got to the top, looked around and there was just another mountain to climb. Another mm -hmm. mountain, you know, cancer isn't just a mountain. It felt it was like it's a whole mountain range and I had to get through them all. Um so mentally and physically, I suppose I struggled afterwards in terms of trying to build myself back up. And I had ups and downs, um, you know, but prior to that as well, it's it's in 2017 when my daughter was, uh, you know, I was recovering from the postnatal depression I'd had after my daughter was born a year earlier. I'd had quite bad postnatal depression after her. And even while I was pregnant with my daughter, I'd had um I suppose prenatal anxiety <laughs> is what I'm, I'm terming it. And I had been through quite a, a challenging period in 2015 when we were getting married and I had, you know, work stress and there was a lot going on and I'd been through this very stressful period. So it felt like that for probably a period of about four years, I would say even since my son was born, um, when I had some anxiety after him as well, postnatally, I had just been in this period of like stress and anxiety punctuated by patches of depression back to being anxious a couple of little it was just ups and downs ups and downs I was all over the place um you know and then all of a sudden I'd gotten cancer <laughs> and I'm laughing because it was just it was like you just couldn't make it up like you know it was just what on earth like is going to come next you know and um my diagnosis had been delayed I'd been symptomatic but it was being put down to my pregnancy and I had thought that all of my anxiety, that there was something wrong in my body was due to the postnatal issues and me just being anxious. But it turns out it was actually my inner voice very clearly trying to warn me something's not going on. So, you know, there was this this period of my life that just felt like this ball of stress punctuated, you know, with these beautiful moments like having my children. Um, but it just had all been so hard um, and it wouldn't have been my first time struggling with anxiety. I had quite a severe depressive episode in my early twenties when I was backpacking in Australia of all places. So that was, that was an interesting experience. Um, you know, I'd had a breakup in my twenties and I'd been not, not fully depressed. I think I just had been quite just in a funk is <laughs> the only way to describe that. Um, after that period, it's not very, technical words and then you know it had felt like 
you know, ups and downs, ups and downs with my mental health, you know, work stress then. And then this period, as I said, with these lovely shining moments where you hear your babies cry for the first time. But then it was just very, very hard. So, yeah. So for me, I I chose to become a life coach because I wanted to be, I suppose, that helping hand to help people move forward after their cancer that I had felt I hadn't had and to help them navigate that period. Um and start planning for the future and looking after themselves. Counseling's great. I love counseling. Great place to get it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, what I what I'd been missing and what I'd only found when I came to coaching was how to work out what the next steps were. So yeah, so I'm doing I'm like have to say I'm, you know, I look after myself and I look after my head mm-hmm. very, very, very carefully these days. <laughs> I mind my head and my mind. Um it's probably my number one uh, because it, it feels like it's the foundation that everything else sits on, you know, and it's, it's really important to me to look after my mental health and my physical health because without it, I, I know what it's like to lose both. And it's just, life's just better when you mind it. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on something there, that fight or flight and being in that heightened sense of anxiety for a long time. And I know through some of the content that you have shared on Instagram, mm. um, one thing that you work on with um, the cancer survivors that you work with is stepping out of that fear and emp- empowering them to, yeah. look, to look forward because mm-hmm. there can be that fear that sta- hangs around that heightened fear of, of, you know, what could come next. And, mm. you know, um, why is that important? um it's a really good question it's because the reality is cancer can recur mm-hmm. you know and first of all I think that's something that's not always understood mm-hmm. by the, the non-cancer community can't think of a way Cancer muggle is, is a phrase I saw once that made me laugh. If you're a Harry Potter fan, you'll know what it means. Like, um, but you know, if you haven't been in that world, if you haven't had that experience, uh, I think the perception can be that it's, um, and it was for me. I thought it was going to be like, like Grey's Anatomy or something, you know, that you'd wake up and there'd be this like surgeon who'd be like, yes, we got it all. You're, you're going to be grand and there'll be a little bit of chemo and you'll be fine. Like, you know, and, and that's actually not the reality. The reality is that, you know, the cancer can recur and it does recur for some people. Um, and that is a huge fear. You're afraid. You're afraid of what if this comes back? It's mm-hmm. like you are now aware. I think it's a sense of almost this like, belief in your body that indestructibility that you know Asher I'm grand I'm only 30s I'm only in my 40s that won't happen to me it, you, you know what can happen and you know it can happen again but you can become trapped in that you can you worry about every ache every pain every new symptom um triggers scans going to the hospital like you know you hear of someone else getting diagnosed god I couldn't like I can't watch some tv shows if they do cancer storylines um because I find it really upsetting um, if they're done well. Now, if they're done badly, it's the opposite thing. I get really annoyed. <laughs> and I'm like, that is not what it's like. But for me, it's starting to move forward with your life. You can move forward after cancer. You know, I think helping people accept that we, we can't go back, but you can move forward. And one of the first steps is learning to navigate some of those triggers. Mm-hmm. So, 
it's looking at what actually triggers you. And I do, I, I know I have a, a, a tool for people where you actually identify what are your triggers? You know, are you afraid of scans? Are you afraid when you get a new ache or pain? Do you worry if you get a headache and you don't normally get headaches? And it's identifying the triggers and then looking at them and thinking, what can I control here? What could I have some influence over? And what do I just have to accept? And then working out um, how you can navigate it. So say for me, it's, you know, if I scans, you know, what can I, I have to go for them? I have to go for my mammogram. So, you know, I just have to accept the mammogram has to happen, but what can I control? I can control, you know, when the appointment happens, I can control following up with the doctors. I can, you know, so it's, it's setting a little plan in place for me. Um, because when you do that, it, it gives a sense of control back and gives you some tools for managing those fears. Um, I don't tell people that the fears will go away because they might not, but learning tools to manage it and bring your body back into a state of, okay, this is how I'm going to deal with this. Um, you know, doing a bit of breath work to just calm the body. You know, what are you going to do when you feel that panic coming up? Take four deep breaths, you know, calm the body so that you can then challenge the thoughts that are coming up. Because when you get some control over that, that's kind of a first step to starting to look forward because, going back to life before cancer is virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially if you are navigating side effects and things, because life does change, but how can you move forward? So getting the body calm again, getting some tools to help people just take a breath, switch on that parasympathetic nervous system and then calm everything down and then start to challenge the thoughts like, you know, for me, it would have been, say, for example, oh, I've got like a pain in my hip. What is that? Oh, my God, is it in my bones? <laughs> and the whole thing goes crazy. Whereas take three deep breaths and say, actually, hold on a minute. You did go for an extra long walk yesterday. You know, could that could that be it? Let's just keep an eye on it for two weeks. You know, if it doesn't resolve, then we'll go back to our doctor. But it's it's bringing that body back into a state of calm so you can start questioning those thoughts and that for me works really well, um, you know, and it's it's helped me once I've gotten control of that fear of being able to start looking to my future again. Um, I'm planning for the future because, you know, life after cancer, it can be great. You know, it can be an opportunity to reevaluate. It can be an opportunity to make career change. It can be an opportunity to look at your boundaries look at are you looking after yourself you know what do I want to change what do I want to bring forward what do I want to leave behind what was stressing me what wasn't serving me and how can I put it behind me um but the first thing you have to do is just calm down (laughs) you know and that's hard it's Mm. really hard at first Mm. it is um yeah and I think the fact that you have been through this as well must help an awful lot of the people that you work with because, you know, it's all well and good for someone to say, you know, oh, just do this. But if, you know, you have lived it, you have gone through that experience and, you know, you're now helping these people. So that must be very rewarding for you, but Mm. also must be a comfort for them that, okay, like Natasha has been through this. Yeah. And, you know, she has come out the other end she has changed her career she had you know she's living her life and yeah. it, must, it must be very 
you know, as I say, rewarding for you, but it must be of huge benefit then to the people that you're working with as well. Yeah, I know for, for me, um, like I did see a counsellor and she was great, but mm. it did feel like there was a little gap between what I was saying and what she really could relate to, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's, I, I think for me, it was, you know, finding people who understood really helped. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to go a step further. I thought about, you know, I wanted to become more than just say running a support group. It wanted to be like, how can I actually help people move forward? Um, I will say for me, for me, it's, it is very rewarding. It's not something I think I could have done maybe three or four years ago because the triggering still would have been there. Whereas now I have enough tools in place myself, um, that I'm, I'm able to look after my own well-being while working with um, other cancer survivors I think that's really important as well Uh, like I said I mind I mind my mind (laughs) as best I can Um, but yeah you know it is something that's been said you you get me you get it you know what it's like or I do find as well um, like after cancer it's because it can feel almost like a, a societal pressure sometimes that you just have to put a brave face on and keep going. It's almost like with parenting, you have to be like, yeah, the baby's great. I'm loving it. You have to almost be like, yeah, I'm so glad treatment's over. Everything's going well. You know, it's, whereas if you're talking to someone who you know has lived it, you can actually say, Jesus, this is so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Or it's not over. Like, you know, or it feels like it's not over, you know, because I do understand. And there isn't, almost that societal that that pressure to put the brave face on it is just not it doesn't exist it's stripped away so people are able to open up more um and that can be very helpful because as the years go on you know what we call say like your cancerversary your your anniversary of different dates um people around you start to forget those but for a lot of cancer survivors those dates are imprinted on their mind and can actually be very triggering and and being able to say that to someone, you know, oh, it's actually like the anniversary of my surgery this week and have them just go, oh, how are you doing? And recognize straight away that that's going to be bringing up emotions is 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 very powerful, I think, um, you know, because it's there is I think it's I don't know if it's to do with there is maybe it's maybe it's media or something or maybe it's just the stigma that can go perhaps with cancer Mm. as well like I I use the word stigma I'm not sure if stigma is the right word it's the fear it's like you know have you ever heard people go you you know know, know, it's whispered (laughs) um but there are mental health challenges that go with I I obviously talk about cancer but I think with any illness Mm. um there is a mental health component to the physical illness that isn't always recognized by wider society. Um, you know, and it's almost expected that you're just going to be delighted that you you beat it and you got through the treatment, whereas there's actually so much more to it. Um, you know, and and if you go in to the illness stressed or you know, dealing with mental health challenges or anxious. <laughs> you know it's you're coming out the other side and they might be exacerbated by different side effects so it's how are you going to look after yourself moving forward and for me looking after my mind really helped me look after 
my own body mm-hmm. and then live my life. I think the mind body connection is so powerful. You know, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I talked about this on episode four with Rosie McMahon, which is mm-hmm. as, we speak, um, as we record this, but you know, there's been much more of a recognition of that mind body connection mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, especially and, you know, when when one is kind of, I suppose, thrown off kilter, it can have a huge effect on the, the other. So yeah. that your your physical health, you're suffering with your physical health, it can throw off your mental health or if you're mm-hmm. your mental health, it can actually have an impact on your physical health. Mm-hmm. And it, like it is so important. And, you know, when you're suffering with an illness such as cancer, it can have huge psychological effects. Of course, it can. Right. Of course, mm-hmm. it can. And I think definitely you know what you're saying makes total sense that you know you do have to mind your mind and when you're coming out of that as well you have to continue to because you're uh-huh. looking you know you continue to look after your physical health but also you have to continue looking after your mental health because yeah. you know and you touched on the fear of recurrence mm. the triggers all the rest of that and you also touched on the tools that you use mm. um how you look after your mind would you mind sharing um what those are yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's an ever-evolving toolbox. Things go in and out. <laughs> it's one of those things I actually, I think everybody should have a toolkit. Mm-hmm. Be it literally have a box with stuff in it or just uh, figuratively. But, you know, um, gratitude is a big one for me. Uh, I think the science around gratitude and having a gratitude practice. I'm a bit of a geek as well. I'm a nerd. I love, like, I was that person who when I was in treatment was, you know, asking the nurses how the chemos worked. (laughs) I don't know. I think it gave me a little bit of a sense of control, but there was also, I wanted to understand it because I said to a nurse one day, I was like, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that this is going into my body, I'd actually be fascinated. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, but so, you know, I love the fact that positive psychology really proves that having a gratitude practice is good for Mm -hmm. your head. Like, you know, where you focus your attention, the more things that you look at or you find in your day that you enjoy. And, that, you know, it's it's so simple. Like I've written, sometimes I write down the gratitude list. Sometimes I just go to bed at night and I think it. Um, there's another little practice I love. It's where you you think of 10 things in your day that you appreciate and just count them off on your fingers. Mm-hmm. Say it last thing at night before you go to bed. Appreciate this, appreciate this, appreciate this. And you can't help but smile by the end of it, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. It can be, I really enjoyed that cup of coffee. I loved the 10 minutes where I was on my own and the kids were silent, you know, or, you know, and that's a big one. You know, it can be, I appreciate that the sun was shining today and I got to sit outside or, you know, whatever. It's something simple. And sometimes it's the simple things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We don't, we don't need to be grateful for this huge, big stuff. And I think definitely when you're in recovery, um, like a big one for me was, I still remember the day I first put mascara on Mm. when my eyelashes grew back. Oh my God. Like that was a good day. Like, you know, (laughs) it's such a simple thing. And I was like, come on babies, you know, and, but I was so grateful and I was so appreciative of just the fact that my eyebrows and my eyelashes were growing back. And, you know, things like that, as you recover, it can be appreciate each little milestone. You know, I'm grateful for, you know, an eyelash that held on or I'm grateful for the hair growth or whatever it might be. I'm grateful for, you know, the doctors that gave me my treatment. I, I was grateful for my treatment and that, that reframing and reframing is another tool that I use, but 
it's like using your language. Uh, I think when you're going for chemo, it's, it's, it's I mean, that's where it's pretty shit like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not a lot of fun. You know, you don't really want to be having it. You're not expecting to be going for chemo when you're 39 and all your mates are down the play group with their toddlers, <laughs> you know? So, but reframing it and thinking of it actually, as I used to call it, my friend I loved to hate because this was there to hell in me. And it was like, I am grateful that I get to have this. Um, I had a delay at the start of my treatment, which made me grateful every time I was able to get it on time after that. But being able to go in and, and kind of reframing it, I get to go for this treatment today. My bloods are good. You know, I'm, I get to have this science has created this and it can help gobble up my cancer. Um, I used to use that visualization sometimes as well. I picture I'm a Pac-Man, you know, going around <laughs> eating up little stray cells, you know, and uh, I think it was more vivid sometimes when I was actually on steroids. But anyway, but things like that, you know, how you look at things, you know, can you change your language? That was all, that was a revelation for me, um, changing my language, you know, a simple thing instead of I have to, I get to, or, you know, I should. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to do this or I don't want to do it. You know, I don't like that where I should. Um, although I still use it, uh, but, you know. I actually speak to Cathy um, O'Byrne from the Swallows Trail yeah. about shoulds in um, the episode with her. And like, it's such a, a pressure eyes word that like, mm-hmm. you know, it, you can feel such pressure with all these, like I should do this, I should do that, yeah. I should do the other thing. And, but yeah, but reframing it and I get to do this or Mm -hmm. I could do this rather than should. It it can be very like aggressive word or something. And did you find it really hard? Like I find the word should, it's a tough one after cancer because you're like, oh, I should be out running every day or I should be exercising or I should be only eating, you know, organic vegetables or whatever. Like, you know, I should be grateful is a big one. So people don't allow themselves to feel what they're actually feeling, which can be a mix of anger and frustration and sadness because cancer Mm. takes away a lot. You know, I got, I got my kids. They Mm. came before the diagnosis, but cancer takes that from so many people and they can feel guilty that they're expressing that when they say, I should be grateful. Mm. But it comes up with parenting as well, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I should be better. I should, you know, I, I should be taking them to this activity and that. Activity. Yeah. I, should, I should be outside playing with them. I should be, you know, not at work and I should be at home. I yeah. should be, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And like, it changes daily kind of the shoulds, but yeah. it can be so like, it can be overwhelming as well. And I found mm-hmm. after, I had my my mental health issues um I found you know like I should be better mm-hmm. you know like because I had I suppose I had moved forward from you know the the real breakdown in my mental health and things were going good but then if I had any lull or any dip in the mental health because those always happen and I talked about that in episode one that you know it is this journey and kind of mm-hmm. accepting that that but I kind of the first couple of times that it happened I found myself shoulding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's you know, a verb. Should, we should on ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I should I should be better. I shouldn't have this mm. going on. I shouldn't be sad. I should be, you know, this sort of thing. And 
yeah I like I've really had to work on that and actually mm. you know when I have the, those dips because yeah. you can actually almost send yourself into this like s- spiral then and mm-hmm. like you know it's the spiral of negative thoughts but it's also you know it's actually prolonging what's happening yeah. with your with your kind of depressive episode or whatever it may be yeah it, it's kind of it's actually making it worse yeah but, it can you know shutting your life away you can though and it's it's you know I know I experienced it with the kids it was like I should be loving every moment I hate that phrase as well love every moment we're human we can't love every moment if you have like small people screaming at you on the floor of course you're not going to love it who loves being yelled at by mini dictators who are like throwing snacks at you or whatever, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can remember having a handful of dinner thrown at me from the high chair one time. Oh, yeah. like, and I was like, oh, I should be grateful I'm at home with them. And I'm like, actually, hold on. He's just chucked food at me. Like, you yeah. know, that's, that's not right. You know, so it's, it's, it's huge, but it's, it's something that comes up after, um, after treatment as well. It's people think I should be grateful. I should be doing better. I should be back on my feet. I should be eating better. I should be exercising. You know, oh, I put my whole family through this. I can't tell them I should just be better. I have to just, and it's, they they feel this guilt as well around very real emotions that sometimes they feel they can't express comfortably. Um, But, you know, we all have feelings and, you know, we teach our kids that they have a range of emotions. And yet we tell ourselves that we should we should we should be happy all the time. So it's it's language really matters. So, yeah, I do work on that. Like I do take I'm on um, because I was put into menopause as well. Like my treatment put me into menopause. So I do take um, a low dose of venlafaxine, Effexor. And and that really helped me because I was at a point where I was having hot sweats. I had some post-mastectomy pain. I wasn't sleeping. Mm-hmm. Like I was getting, at one point, I hit a stage where I was getting two hours a night. Mm-hmm. And at that stage, my kids were four and two or five and two. You know, I was eight, nine months out for treatment. I was like, I can't exist like this, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I was existing. I was literally, I was like, if I could have got a caffeine IV hooked up to me I would have just happily dragged it around with me all the time you know um so the venlafaxine like medication where it has its place is is it can get it got me to a point where I was actually getting some sleep um it helped with my menopausal side effects Mm -hmm. it helped with my hot flashes and night sweats so I started getting better sleep and you know it's it's like I will continue on that low dose for as long as I need it because of the other medications that I'm on and kind of balances things out and it brought me to a space where I was able to work more effectively on the other stuff you know so there can be a fear of medication as well but everything has its place you know there's so many ways we can mind our minds um but for me it's very much it's it's watching my language now it's exercise is huge it was always a go-to for me instinctively, even in my twenties, if I was having a bad day, I'd go for a walk even before I understood the connection. Um, and unfortunately I'm on crutches at the moment. Uh, I had a, a hip thing a few weeks ago and I'm really missing my walks mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I'm starting to feel it that I get frustrated or more easily or just, you know, I'm not as patient as I would have been with the kids or, mm-hmm. you know, so, exercise I think is great and what's that meme that goes around it's like a walk won't cure everything but it won't make anything worse yeah um I I really agree with that so exercise watching my language breath work 
gratitude practice. Um, and then I kind of know, I think the phrase self-care has become associated in, in recent years with heading off for spa day and so on. Um, and I kind of think of it like, you know, if you picture the coffee cup and you go for your spa day and you f- it fills up the coffee cup, but mm. then life starts poking away at it and it all just drains away again. You yeah. really need something that's drip feeding to replace the energy that's yeah. going out. And that's what you need in your, your, your self-care toolkit. You know, the 10 minutes alone to take a breath, five minutes in the morning, drinking your coffee in silence, the, the you know, the half our run every evening it's it's trying to build those things in because they're the things that will drip feed in to your cup so Absolutely. as life is draining it out there's still something coming in whereas the spa day is great but it's it's like just one big glug and then it'll just drain away and you're back to nothing so what can you do every day that helps um and i think that's more important because self-care has become synonymous with days out or yeah it's it's been commercialized in the last Mm. years definitely like all of those things have their have their place oh yeah i love spa day the the face mask the Mm -hmm. the candle all the rest of that they all have their place but i think it's recognizing that if you don't like if you're not looking after your mind kind of on a regular basis and then you know if you're only doing it when the shit hits the fan exactly you know like it's you're always in that kind of like it's it's an emergency sector it's um whereas like if you have all those tools already in your toolbox that you're Mm -hmm. you're regularly kind of maintaining yeah it'll be much easier to actually Mm -hmm. you know grab one of them if if an emergency situation happens or if something big you know a big life change or something happens Mm -hmm. then know that okay well I can do this this and this rather yeah. than the panic that would ensue, you know, if you mm-hmm. had, like, I, I hadn't spoken about this on, on previous episodes, but the, I was made redundant last year. Mm-hmm. This came after I had had, you know, the, I suppose, breakdown in my mental health in 2021. And it was like, I suppose the redundancy itself, obviously I cried when I found out I was being made yeah. redundant. But it's actually, huge. yeah, but actually, mm-hmm afterwards you know I had the different tools to kind of go okay wait a second let's Mm -hmm. take a moment and look at this now and figure out where we're going and all the rest of it so it wasn't a blind panic which it Mm -hmm. absolutely would have been prior um like when I was in that tough phase because I wasn't minding myself I was I was constantly in big I think when you're in the depths of it as well it's it's much harder to maintain those things so if you already have them at you know kind of that you've been maintaining them all along Mm -hmm. much easier to pull them out of the toolbox because if they're not there to begin with it's so much harder to start a new self-care practice or a you know whatever Mm -hmm. um if you are in in kind of the depths of despair or anxiety or panic or whatever it may be completely completely agree it's you know it's it, it, that's why I think it's the, the little things that actually add up over time. You know, it's, it's, they're like blocks in a wall, you know, and each little block builds your defenses around your mental health, you know, and it's, it's, you know, and it is, it is things like lighting a candle. I love the smell of a nice candle. You know, I actually do find it really, I love, you know, 
going to the woods. As soon as I'm off crutches, me and the dog are going to the woods for about three hours. He's going to have a great time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He's going to be like, mommy, can we live here? You know, because we're just going up there some morning and we're going to like bring a cup of coffee and stay there for the whole morning. But it's these little things, um, you know, and it's it's getting out in nature. Like one thing I think is really interesting is there's actually like fractals in nature. It's the shapes made by like the leaves or the plants or whatever it's they're only found in nature but they're actually soothing for your mind um Mm. and good old dr chatterjee i remember reading that on one of his hearing that on one of his podcasts um and that's why i was like oh that's why i find the trees so relaxing because again it's the science part of my brain likes to, to understand things sometimes but you know it's it's these little things and it's one of the things that i really like you know you know with people it's it's working with well first of all let's look at the fears of recurrence let's get some tools around that so how you can manage it and and bring your body but then start looking at your self-care toolkit and I think after illness and any illness like obviously I talk about cancer but you know a mental health challenge or you know she's a broken leg like you know you you can come back to life and kind of go actually you know what that was a forced period of introspection or I needed to look at my life and it's like you know people are so desperate I think to get back to normal but sometimes we have to stop and ask ourselves is was our normal actually benefiting us Mm -hmm. do we really want to go back to that normal do you really want to be working crazy hours and and that's what I did I went back to work full-time I went back to work I went back to what I knew which was recruitment. I was back working 60 hours a week within three weeks after a seven-year career break. So there's the muscle memory. You know, it was just straight back to what I knew, work, 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 work. And, um, you know, and last year I was recruiting and I had a lovely job, like with a really good agency, really nice people. Um, it was a full-time job though. And I was traveling to Dublin two days a week. And, you know, within a few months, I knew something was off. Um, and I could feel the shoulds. The I should be happy. I have a good job. Uh, you know, I, I want to work, so I should just be grateful now. And, you know, and then it was like, well, I need to do this, this and this, but I also need to do this. And then I was looking at the kids going, oh, I should be with the kids. There was so many shoulds. Um, and then one day I just sat there and I was like, because I had done quite a lot of work within coaching around what my values were and knowing your values. They are your inner compass. They help you yep. decide. And I was able to make the decision that actually no, this isn't right for me very quickly because I knew I wasn't living in line with what my most important values were. And I decided at that point, it was like, I'm going to take the plunge and I'm going to focus on coaching because coaching was my passion, but I think I was letting fear stop me. Mm -hmm. And then the shoulds were keeping me stuck and I wasn't in line with my values. And it was just, um, you know, and they really helped me make the decision. And I think working out your values helps you figure out what actions you want to take and everyone's self-care toolkit is different. You know, for for one person, like recharging could mean going for coffee once a week with their friends and they have to have that. Whereas I'm more introverted. I recharge on my own. I'm quite happy with my own company. I'd go off for a week on my own and be on that <laughs> an island. I sound really antisocial, but like, I'm not like, I'm actually like quite extrovert as well, but you know, I know I recharge by time alone, mm-hmm. but it's, it, you know, and coaching and things like that can help you learn to recognize what actually does fill your tank instead of thinking what should I be doing and I know you've had experience of coaching as well and, and that yeah yeah, was yeah and we powerful yeah and mm-hmm. um myself and Jennifer spoke about that on mm-hmm. too as well about like how 
your core values and not recognizing what they are yeah. it can really help you to live a life aligned with what you want from life from what yeah. you need from life and what you value in life yeah and and like what you were saying there you know what you were doing wasn't serving you anymore and it wasn't no. serving your your values or your needs or your wants mm. so, you know the fact that you were able to step into yeah. that career you know like yeah. it's huge and like it must have been a big change terrifying terrifying of your of your life but it, yeah. it must have brought brought about a huge you know mm. positive change as well the fact that you did yeah. step into I suppose it's stepping into your power as well yeah it's taking back like sometimes we feel we have no control in situations mm. and that impacts our mind mm. um you know and that's one of the things say for example with illness like so much of your control is taken away when you're going through cancer treatment because you you are you have all these appointments and you you have to go to them and and you know you do have to go to them like you do (laughs) and but it's it's what can you control in your life where do you still have some power where what power do you have and how can you utilize that power because you know that that's just it's I don't like using the word powerful, but it is powerful. <laughs> it's like, it, it is powerful knowing where you have an element of control and being able to assess it. And it is powerful saying, well, you know what? I can control taking five minutes for myself in the morning to go stand in the backyard and get some morning light on my eyes and drink a cup of coffee in silence. And that will actually set me up for the day. And for someone else, what will set them up for the day will be, going for like a run or for someone else it'll be drinking three cups of coffee because they're you know but everyone's different but it's recognizing do what's right for you not what you feel you should be doing not talk about that word should it should be it should be banned (laughs) I wish it was banned but it's um but yeah it's it's control what you can control within the situation that you're in and it can be something very small you know for me when I went through treatment um I insisted on doing the laundry myself. I was like, people would offer to do it. And I was like, no, I'm going to do the laundry. This is something I can do. I can make sure that I'm being mammy and I'm still washing the clothes for the kids and folding them and having them in their drawers. And I had everyone around me driven mad because I would insist on doing these loads of washing. But it, it helped me feel I had some control and that helped my mind and helped me recognize and accept the things that I couldn't control if that makes sense um so you know it's it's I think everyone has their own little things that work for them um laundry was mine I'm cracking up at the moment because I can't fold it and put it away properly on crutches I can't wait to get back at it but I've had to accept that I can't and just let it go and recognize that this is a phase and that this will pass (laughs) so you know it's 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 using your tools but finding your tools, you have to find your tools to use them. And everyone's tools are different, you know. Mm, it's... Absolutely. And I think that's a lovely note to yeah. up on, actually. Mm. Um, like everyone is different and mm. what work for one person won't work for everyone. Yeah. But once you find the thing that works for you, you know, keep that in your toolbox. Yes. Um, where, for mm. when you might need it yeah so Natasha thank you so much for joining me on the Mind yeah. the podcast it's been lovely to chat to you um really appreciate the opportunity and uh love the podcast <laughs> so <laughs> can't wait to hear it thanks Natasha
No worries. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Mind Your Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, rate, review or follow. It really does help with getting the podcast out there. You can follow us on Instagram at mindyourmindpod for extra content and some behind the scenes action. Talk to you next week and in the meantime, don't forget to mind your mind.